Do you need to take the Casper for at least some of the programs you are applying to? Are you concerned about it? Well, this interview with the co-founder of Acuity Insights, the folks that bring us the Casper, is for you. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 513th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me today. Are you ready to apply to your dream medical schools? Are you competitive at your target programs? Accepted's Med School Admissions Quiz can give you a quick reality check. Just go to accepted.com slash medquiz, complete the quiz, and you'll not only get an assessment, but tips on how to improve your chances of acceptance. Plus, it's all free. Again, use the calculator at accepted.com slash medquiz to obtain your free assessment. Our guest today is Dr. Kelly Dore, co-founder and vice president of science and innovation at Acuity Insights and also adjunct professor at McMaster University. Dr. Dore, welcome to Emission Straight Talk. Thank you so much, Linda. Thanks for having me today. My pleasure. All right, let's start with something very, very basic. Can you give an overview of the CASPER exam and its structure, what applicants could expect? Sure. So the exam most people are familiar with with Acuity is CASPER. CASPER is an online situational judgment test. A situational judgment test, it's different than a behavioral interview question you might have if people are familiar with doing interviews where you say, tell me about a time you managed multiple responsibilities at once. Instead, an SJT presents a scenario. In the case of CASPER, the majority of those are video scenarios. So you're watching a 60 to 90 second video. You have a role in it that we tell you at the beginning and you watch that video and then you get a series of questions after it. So you watch the scenario, see what's going on. And there's then there's three follow-up questions talking about what you would do and why you would take that course of action. The total exam takes around 90 minutes. And the during that time, there's opportunity for breaks. There's the chance to, you know, just reflect. So you'll watch the video. There's a chance to have a reflection period before you go into typing your response or recording your response, depending on the moment in Casper. Now, Casper broadly is intended to measure uh, social intelligence and professionalism in applicants. It was developed so that we could get a more holistic picture of applicants supporting that holistic selection process. And the Casper exam, we'll, we'll go into more detail about it, but is something that we we hope supports the application process. Okay. And when can applicants take it? I know it's online. Can they take it at six in the morning, whenever, wherever they are? Can they take it at 10 o'clock at night? What Absolutely. So when, because it is online and I always say we were online before online was cool. So back in 2010, we started uh, with an online examination because we started in Canada and we wanted to ensure that we weren't disadvantaging our rural and remote applicants. They weren't having to travel to test centers to take this examination because the intent of it is it's used early on in the admissions process. So before you've, you know, gone for an interview or things like that, this happens. So you don't want to have to travel or incur costs, you know, for accommodation and things. So the way that Casper works is because it's a proctored examination, there's set test times. Now there's a variety of set test times. It's not just one time. So when you're applying, if you're applying to physiotherapy, you can go in, look for your school and look at all the different test windows that are open to you. 
Now the test, as I said, takes about 90 minutes. You have a two hour window to complete the test. So it's not that it's to the moment and then your computer shuts off. You have a little bit of flex time. And of course, folks who require accommodations can apply for that if they need extended time and things like that. Okay. So is there a different CASPER exam if you're applying to medical school and if you're applying to DO programs or PA programs or whatever? I mean, yeah, um, there is different CASPER tests that exist. Right. So, um, first of all, the CASPER tests that's even between Canada and the US are different CASPER tests because they take into consideration some of the cultural nuances and settings that are appropriate for that country. And also the raters who rate that examination, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, are from that country. So you don't have, you know, people from Canada rating U.S. tests and vice versa. Now, we also have different levels of tests. So people who are coming out of high school applying to a nursing program, they get a different level of CASPER test than somebody maybe applying to medical school. And then somebody applying to residency would get an even different level of test. So we've got okay. that set up for the level of difficulty. And then in addition, we also have little test groups as well. So MD and DO applicants can, can write the same examination because we know there's cross-application there. So we didn't want them to have to write two examinations. Um, and then the others sort of have their own uh, test windows as well. So it's it's a Sounds a little confusing as I'm explaining it, but when you go on and enter your school, you'll see that the test is set there. It's set for you at the right level for the school that you're applying to. How many different kinds of, of tests are there? It sounds like there's a lot. Uh, it does sound like there's a lot. We have an amazing, amazing content development team who works with a lot of equity uh, and diversity in mind as they're developing them, but they also keep in mind they want to get the right level of difficulty. You know, the scenarios that we present... So for example, if you're applying to a medical school or you're applying to a nursing program, there's not clinical content in there that you need to know because we don't want to give advantage to anybody whose you know, family is a physician versus those who are maybe first in their family to attend university. And so the content is intended to be relevant to everybody. So that's why where we have these different levels of tests, we want to make sure that people who are leaving high school have have the opportunity to have the experiences we have in the scenarios or can at least relate to them. And then similarly, people applying to medical school, they may have had other uh, examples of things in university they would have encountered. So we can have a little bit different scenarios there. Makes sense. Makes sense. So the, the goal is obviously to assess judgment, I guess, cultural awareness, so the non-subject matter related aspects of a medical school yeah. or, or healthcare application, correct? Healthcare application, absolutely. So we're we're wide across healthcare. So a variety of different types of programs use us to apply to. Um, one of the important things is that while we broadly measure social intelligence and professionalism, there's a lot of sub areas that are covered in that. So communication, collaborations, ethics, empathy. They're sometimes referred to as as the non-cognitive skills or non-academic skills. Um, I actually have heard them recently referred to as the durable skills because the technical skills and the knowledge stuff is constantly changing in the world that we live in. But these are the things that are durable uh, throughout somebody's lifetime and training. And I, I just, I really like that term. Yeah, I like that too. I like that too. So that's kind of what admissions committees are gleaning from it. This, this mm. professionalism, the socialism, intelligence. Is there a way for applicants to prepare for it? Yeah. Or practice for it. 
Yes. And because we know, and I can tell you this, when we started this examination in McMaster back in 2010, single medical school in Canada, um, there was a test prep company that popped up uh, right when we started it. And they said, we can tell you how to write Casper. And I thought, I can't tell folks how to write Casper. I don't know how they're doing it. Um, mm. And we really wanted to ensure that we were creating an assessment that didn't provide an opportunity for third-party coaching in that same way. We didn't want you to have to pay in order to do better on the examination. So a couple of things that we did around the structure of that. So first and foremost, we do have a practice test. There's a technical requirements check that you can do and a full practice test. And the reason that those are important is that when we did a study actually looking at people's preparatory methods for taking Casper, whether it was third-party coaching, uh, doing the practice test, you know, sitting in their room thinking about, you know, the types of things that we're measuring. The only thing that had a little incremental value was really the practice test that they could write. And it's because, and we know this, it's a familiarization with the format. So you go on, there is a time limit for the answers. And I, I think that is one of the things that, you know, people are always worried about is that you can actually go on, complete some of this. You can do it as many times as you want. If you want to do it 10 times, it's all about making you feel more comfortable in a stressful situation as much as possible. So I really encourage, you know, this is what I tell all of the pre-health advisors, always get your applicants to do the practice test, make them feel comfortable. They know what they're getting into, whether that's a typing their response or video recording their response. It just gives them that opportunity to feel a little bit more comfortable with that. And then in addition, we send out a ton of materials. So on our website, there's a webinar that you can watch that our uh, applicant support team, who's amazing, uh, goes through everything for you, how to sign up, how to do all the things, things you might want to do to prepare, you know, how to get a quiet space for yourself, et cetera. And then there's also emails that go out in other literature that we provide to sort of say, what are our tips and tricks? Like if, if we could tell you everything that we would do, if we were writing the test, what would we tell you? And that's all there free and accessible for folks to go and grab, which is really important because we want to make sure that as much as possible, we're able to level that playing field. So really encourage folks to go try those out. Right. You know, what's going through my mind now as I'm talking to you and also in preparing for the call today. I, I live in Los Angeles and there's a large park near us, which was the estate of Will Rogers, uh, who was an oh. American columnist and a native, native American. I don't remember if both parents were native Americans or one parent, but he was, uh, grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, have you ever heard of him? Uh, I have vaguely. I just don't know that much about him. If I'm honest, right. He was, he was, um, a cowboy and oh, incredible, yes. okay. then I absolutely incredible yes. okay. roper, Yes. Um, yes. Then he went into silent movies and ultimately he became a columnist. And according to the video that plays at the park near my house, he was the most popular columnist in the United States, the 1930s prior to his death, I think in 35. Really? Um, yeah. Anyway, he had a saying and it was good judgment comes from experience. Mm -hmm. And most of that comes from bad judgment. Yep. I think so. <laughs> so, I mean, I think some of the one of the biggest concerns that we hear from clients and medical and healthcare applicants of all fields is how do you grade and test something as subjective yes. as judgment? Right. That's a great question. You have to have experience. And I think the other thing about that, that bad judgment is we all do make mistakes. <laughs> Any of us who said, I don't make mistakes, you know, would be, but you Using know, bad I, judgment. <laughs> exactly. And the whole point of that though, is to learn from it. Yeah. Um, and if you've learned from it, then, 
really at the end of the day, you're, you're, you know, doing better because, you know, you're really starting to reflect and think on things. Not everybody does that. Unfortunately, some people still continue on to go make bad judgments, but hopefully most of us are trying to do that. So when we actually started to create this test in the first place, that was part of our consideration. There's really cool research by Schiffer Ginsburg out of the University of Toronto, who's looked at professionalism. And what she found is that if you get experts, so these folks who are faculty members who are, you know, supposed to be able to, you know, measure professionalism, and you get them to watch a scenario, what's interesting is they can't agree on a course of action. And that what you realize here is when we talk about these complex professionalism scenarios, there's no single right answer that exists. There's lots of shades of gray in all of this, and they're all impacted by exactly what you say, our own experiences, our own pathway, the things that we've encountered, the context around the you know thinking that we're doing at the time. I was always the person who, when I was writing multiple choice examinations in university, I would write in, <laughs> beside the answer why I picked that one, because uh -huh. I need to contextualize it. Just that gives you a little weird insight into my psyche. <laughs> What if that helps you realize is that there's a lot of thinking that goes into why we pick an answer. And so when we created the Casper examination, intentionally, we made it open-ended because we don't think it's right for applicants to look through and, and pick from the list of five the most appropriate because that varies a lot. And Schiffer Ginsburg found the same, that if, if she had to try and get experts to agree on a right course of action, she had to simplify and simplify and simplify the scenarios again until it was kind of obvious. Uh -huh. And so we really want to have these complex professionalism scenarios. What we need to do is actually have open-ended responses where Linda, you and I would see the same scenario, but we've had completely different experiences in our lives. Right. So we may take the same course of action, but for very, very different reasons, or we might take different courses of actions, both of which are very appropriate when we contextualize them and we explain our why behind it. it. And it's really that why that helps us score Casper. If we just had people write their answers about what they would do, in all honesty, we wouldn't get the right information. It's it's the why you take that course of action that really helps us know, A, it's an authentic response. You're not just trying to pick what I think is right. It's, it's what you really feel and believe is the right course of action. And then the other part of it is our rating part. So I always tell applicants this because I think it makes them feel better. Our raters have to do a CASPER test. So they know what it's like to write your response or be saying your response and get cut off. So they understand that sometimes you're not, you don't finish your last thought or you don't, so they understand all that. The other thing is that when we get them to do the rating, we don't give them an ideal response to grade against. Because again, Linda, when we're answering a scenario, you might talk about communication and empathy, and I might talk about collaboration and, you know, problem solving in my response, both of which are very appropriate. Or social influences. Or social, Cultural exactly. Influences. And so we might take it in slightly different directions because of our own things that are important to us. And so we don't want our raters going through and just having this pre-prescribed idea of what the right answer is, because there is no single right answer. And as they're doing this, they're going through and they're looking at applicants as they go through multiple applicants for the same scenario. And so they're benchmarking as they go through. And after they've rated 20, they can go back and rescore those responses, you know, because I may think something, something is a, you know, a seven out of nine. And then after I, I'm like, oh, that's actually like an eight or a nine out of nine after I see the other responses. So it's relative to your peers as well. And people, what we've seen, and, and we can give example responses is that some folks, you know, 
right, you know, say I would do A and some people say they would do B and they score the same. Um, and that's one of the most important things. The other piece is that, you know, there's still subjectivity in it. That's right. Most of the world is subjective, unfortunately. You know, whether you like what I'm wearing is subjective or not. <laughs> you know, whether or not um, I introduce myself properly or explain the Casper test well is subjective or not. And, and so one of the most important things is this concept of multiple independent responses. So a GPA is valuable because it's not just a measure of a single course. A multiple choice exam is valuable because it's not just a single question. CASPER becomes valuable because it's not just a single scenario. You know, this year there's 14 scenarios that folks are going through to get that, that score. And it's your performance on each of those. So you could have a CASPER scenario and you say, I did not answer that one well. You know, like you just feel like you didn't nail it as much as you would like to. That's okay. The other raters have no idea how you answered that scenario. You just go on and you start again fresh. With so it's a different, rate. different raters rate. It's a, it's a different. It's not, it's not. It's it's not by the exam. It's by the question. Exactly. Exactly. So we've removed this thing called the halo effect. The halo effect is an unintended first impression bias that we all get. So I come on the call, you're from Los Angeles and you know, we, we didn't have this conversation, but if I told you about this great story I had on my first visit to LA, you know, that might make you think differently than if I didn't know you were from LA and I said, Oh, I, I don't really like that city. You know, <laughs> that just creates this unconscious bias in your head, just sort of like a panel interview. So part of the reason panel interviews are difficult is that folks can go in and if you're really nervous on the first question and you sort of stumble and you don't feel like you've got it, you still have to answer the, the rest of the interview questions as part of the same group. Um, and you're constantly thinking about how they may have seen your response. But with Casper, it's a brand new rater for each scenario that you write. So what that allows you to do is have a fresh 14 different fresh starts as you're going through and really present your best self as you're going through. So that score that you get at the end is 14 independent impressions of how you did across 14 different types of scenarios. And the rater is only rating, let's say question one. Question one for multiple. And another rater numbers. is rating question two. And another exactly. rating question three. Now, do people receive, I assume you have multiple scenarios. You don't just have one set of scenarios for each program because otherwise right. it gets shared and all that stuff. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So yeah. And the nice thing about that too, is that because we know with implicit bias, we all have bias, you know, this unconscious bias that we all have by having multiple raters, it allows us to minimize the potential impact of that bias across the examination. Okay. I viewed the sample videos that you have online, the sample oh, scenarios, and I was struck by the fact that they were all basically ethical dilemmas. Right. And, and there is ethics in everything, in all honesty. It's, it's, it's kind of it just be. umbrella that goes be. over a lot of <laughs> Exactly. And, and the scenarios we used are, are probably some of the ones that we've gotten feedback over. We actually had are going to uh, likely update them. So a lot of them you'll see, there's sort of, sometimes it feels like communication goes over a bunch of scenarios. And that makes sense because you can't cover just one dimension in a scenario and that's it. These are very, very multidimensionals. And because we're talking about professionalism across the across all of these scenarios, 
it also is your lens through which you're seeing them a little bit too, right? You're seeing uh, the equity in them. You're seeing the, you know, the different pieces in the different scenarios. So one of the things that we've heard is that some applicants see one thing through the scenarios. They were like, oh, these, these were all about collaboration. And somebody else said, oh, these, these are all about ethics across the scenarios. And so it's really interesting because it, it does allow that different lens for folks to have. Okay, great. I remember the, the the one about the fellow whose wife wants him to take uh, paternity leave, and he's worried that it's going to impact his his, mm-hmm. um, his future and his career. It, it was interesting. He was talking about his colleague, and I was thinking to myself, why doesn't he talk to his wife? Was, <laughs> I was thinking, discuss it with his yeah. wife. Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot there, I think. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think, you know, in in what we're trying to do is, you know, no, no scenario is perfect because they're all meant to be complex and a little bit. Yeah, they were. They were. Yeah. yeah. And and so I think one of the things that we we want folks to do is it really stimulate your thinking. Each year we modify the test because we take a lot of applicant feedback. We also use stakeholder feedback and data as well to try and evolve the test each year. So one of the things that we've done is after you watch the scenario, we've added a 30 second reflection time. And so that really allows you to sort of pause and say, what was going on in that scenario and what was happening before you see the questions? And very similar um, to what you're saying there is because you do get these thoughts of like, well, why isn't he doing that? You know, it sort of allows you to- Why is he talking to his colleague? Why is he going to talk to his wife? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But um, all right, let's let's go on here. Now you, Casper introduced video recorded responses last year. Are you planning to keep them going forward? It sounds like you are. And did you see any change in scores upwards or downwards with this change? And the, another, well, I'm, I'll ask you my next question in a minute, but go ahead. Okay, great. So um, for anybody that wrote the exam last year, they will have seen that we've evolved from just having typewritten responses, which is where we started back in 2010, to now also allowing some of the scenarios to be video recorded, just like a Zoom session, and then also other ones typed. And there were two reasons for that. One was applicant feedback that the, you know, especially in the world that we live in, that they don't want to just type their responses. They want to be able to communicate. And that ability to capture verbal communication is also so important uh, because not every program can have an interview and not every program wants to wait to really value that communication piece until, you know, the interview time. That was in fact, the first reason why we created Casper is that in our medical school, we were having to wait GPA so heavily. We used MCAT verbal reasoning component back in the day, but we weren't able to really measure these personal professional attributes early enough on. And so that was the original inception for why Casper was created. But when we added, when we started doing it, we were sort of at the edge of technology uh, back in 2010, as scary as that is to sound. So we were really just doing type responses because the internet wasn't where it could be for people to actually capture videos. Now, the data has also said about videos that you can actually further minimize demographic differences with the use of videos, which is very counterintuitive. We talked about implicit bias and readers actually seeing the videos. So before last year, we actually piloted it for two years before that. So where people could opt in and voluntarily complete the video Casper. That allowed us to start collecting data and understanding because I'll be honest, I wasn't convinced when I read that first study that we would see demographic differences decrease. But amazingly enough, that's what we saw. So SJT, situational judgment tests, and CASPER in particular, tends to have significantly smaller demographic differences than things like 
GPA, GRE, MCAT, those standardized mm -hmm. academic tests. So because we're measuring something different, um, we tend to have smaller demographic differences. So that means smaller differences between the two groups. However, there will, were still demographic differences. There, they still existed, those group differences. And so with the addition of AV, we found that we've been able to even further decrease those demographic differences the strongest area where we've seen that is actually for Black or African-American applicants who write the examination. So last year, everybody wrote it who completed a CASPER test, but we didn't use the scores because we really wanted to test and make sure, you know, were we introducing something that made sense, uh, was defensible in what we were doing, but also really did provide that demographic differences decrease that we wanted to see. And we saw the results repeated for every different group. So whether that was nursing or OTPT or MDDO or GME uh, for applicants to residency, we saw it time and time again. And so for that reason, we made the decision to include it this year in the examination, which is in all honesty, so exciting to me because while we've made changes to the exam each year to try and make it more equitable, um, this is really, I think, one of the first times a, a standardized test has really made a monumental change that's demonstrated value in terms of demographic impact. Wow, that's fascinating. I guess that's the difference in looking at people, literally looking at people as individuals, mm -hmm. as opposed to as members of a group. I think so. I think so. And despite the fact that they're videos, and again, I keep going back to the fact that this was counterintuitive to me at first, yeah. um, we've been able to see through a combination of the way that we train raters, but also because of the, the snapshots that we're getting, and we're having, again, those multiple independent impressions, we're able to capture data that not only predicts for future performance, is defensible, but also now has increasingly smaller differences between groups that are applying, which just, you know, aligns with our mission of creating more equitable assessments um, in creating a world served by exceptional professionals. That's fascinating. Do medical schools or healthcare programs, whoever, whatever program they're applying to have access to the actual exam, the videos, or do they just get the raw score? Great question. So applicants who write get their quartile when they write. Right. So they understand where they, they fall in the quartile. Part of the reason that we did that, and I just want to explain that, is that CASPER is not like the GRE or the MCAT. It's not a cut score that it's schools have. like you work. get a 512 or a 515. Yeah, or and you're in or you're out. It, it, it's yeah. not that way. It's used... Um, in a way to support the holistic assessment of applicants. So it's used in a rubric or in a formula along with people. So it's not a cut score in that same way. I want to make sure people understand if they find out they're in the, you know, the bottom quartile, it does not mean that they're ineligible for getting in. That's so all they find out is that they're what quartile they're in. They find out what quartile the schools actually get the scores. Okay. Um, and they get the average score. So they don't see um, the score for the individual uh, scenarios. Okay. The only time that they would do that is our raters do rate for red flags. So if there's egregious, um, you know, racism, you know, anything like that, that is in the response, the rater flags that. Now we at Acuity don't make a decision about what to do with that. That's passed on to the school, whether or not they want to consider it a flag or not. Um, and so in those cases, that would be the only time, but in all honesty, I'm grateful to say that those are few and far between, mm -hmm. which is very important. So for sure. They, they get that, they don't see the videos or they don't get the individual responses because we want them to be able to use the data. And what we know 
Uh, and sadly enough, we've heard is that we know personal statements have limitations. They have bias in them. They, they tend to be not personal statements. They tend to be the collaboration of an entire community to write sometimes because, you know, if you have three months to write a high stakes personal statement, I'm going to get everybody I know to help give me feedback as you that's, should. That's, by the way, in my opinion, a, a recipe for disaster. If you get everybody, you know, to come. I, I could not agree with you more. You know, could put it on Facebook and all your Facebook friends to come in on your personal <laughs> Exactly. Statement. And then you that's end up with work. nothing that sounds like you. Exactly. Exactly. And so we know, unfortunately, that a lot of the personal statements that are written don't get read because schools don't have the resources to sort through them. That is, unfortunately, in some cases, the sad fact. Schools are getting better at that, which is the most exciting part because they understand it's important to have more data points on applicants. But what we know is that if we gave schools every single scenario, they would just get overwhelmed with data. And mm -hmm. each individual score itself is not a defensible score. It's the collective that is a defensible score, and that's what we want them to focus on. Okay, God, thank you. Is the CASPER predictive of success in healthcare programs and as a clinician? Has there been any studies to correlate CASPER to passage on the STEP exams or other licensing <laughs> exams, especially the clinical ones, or to the objective structural clinical examinations in medical school or other yeah. exams? Those are, the, those are the key questions. It's like, you might be measuring something, but are you measuring something that matters? Um, and the exciting thing for us is that we're seeing that, that data. What's exciting in my mind is that that data is repeated school after school after school. Um, we're seeing it repeated. What we tend to see, so in medical school, um, for folks who are applying elsewhere, tends to be the first couple of years, you know, it's changing a little bit, but they tend to be more lecture-based where you're focusing on anatomy and physiology and all of those really important things. But CASPER doesn't correlate with those things. We know CASPER doesn't correlate with GPA. It doesn't correlate with, with those. So it doesn't correlate with your measures of your anatomical knowledge that shouldn't. Um, if, we, if it was, we would be measuring the wrong thing. Where we see CASPER starting to correlate is in those third and fourth years, both on off-key performance. So we see what we tend to see is that it adds strength to the prediction. So additive to GPA or additive to the MCAT. So it makes it stronger. So it's the combination of knowledge and uh, personal professional attributes. Not surprisingly that they're measuring in OSCEs. We actually uh, had the good fortune of doing a study with the National Board of Medical Examiners who do the STEP exams at the end of medical school. And what we saw, not surprisingly, is your step one exam does not correlate with CASPER. <laughs> Um, that is not surprising. It shouldn't. That's a knowledge exam, right? Well. Exactly. Um, what about step two and step three? So step three, we didn't have the data for, okay. unfortunately. Step two CS, we saw some increased correlations. What we saw, if we look at the Canadian National Licensing Exam, and we, we published a study on this as well uh, with the Medical Council of Canada, is that what we see is that CASPER correlated with a component on the, the National Licensing Exam in Canada, which is roughly equivalent to the Step 2 CS, which had a component called the CLEO and PHILO, which is the Cultural Communication Legal Ethical Organizational and Population Health Components. Whoa. So big words. <laughs> yes. What it, what it predicted for, if you did well on CLEO and PHILO, it predicted good peer review out into practice and lack of professionalism complaints. So we saw CASPER correlating that, which is sort of a, a surrogate for, for later performance, of course, you know, and we're ongoing doing these studies to try and collect more data. 
When we look at higher education or other things, so in, in occupational therapy, we've seen correlations with OSCE exams as they've gone through over and above GPA. So that's like, is it telling the school something useful? We've seen that data repeated in uh, physician assistant programs. And most recently, um, even in teacher's education and business schools, we started to see as people go into co-ops um, and get their work placement ratings, very similarly, we start to see that. We also saw, um, when we think about, you know, beyond uh, residency programs that are starting to use CASPER, really? when they start to use it, um, they saw a decrease overall in both professionalism incidents, as well as formalized remediations they had to do in professionalism. And why that's important is that we know we're actually relatively good at remediating knowledge. So if somebody has a knowledge gap, we tend to have good solutions and a good pathway for them to follow to get them better. When it comes to professionalism, we don't have those same tools. We don't have those same frameworks in place to remediate and support. We tend to rely a lot, rely a lot on external resources and they tend to fail a little bit more. And so for that reason, we know it's sort of adding something to the process of helping to find people who are incredibly intelligent, um, but also strong in their personal and professional attributes. Okay, great. Great answer. Thank you. Thank you very much. How does CASPER differ from the AMC situation, situational judgment test, which I think is called great. Preview? So the AMC uh, for medicine has come out with a situational judgment test called Preview. Um, what's interesting is that they're completely different formats. So even though they're both situational judgment tests, they actually are collecting different information. Oh. Um, on a same thing. So very much, I, I use the analogy of when we're talking about admissions to medical school, you have GPA and MCAT. They're both measuring academics, but different pieces of it. And I think the same is true with Preview and Casper. So Preview is a fixed response SJT. So where you have a series of response options after you've seen a scenario. So very similar, uh, you get a, a text-based scenario with Preview, and then you rate the effectiveness of different options. The limitation to that is that, of course, those are pre-selected options from a group of subject matter experts. We so talk about a fixed option, you mean multiple choice options? Yes, multiple choice options, okay. and you rank the effectiveness of each. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Preview is really measuring your knowledge of what the right thing to do in that scenario. Do you know from when you look at the list, which is the right thing to do, which is an important data point. Casper, on the other hand, is measuring what you would do in that scenario. So you would take this course of action and why would you take that course of action? And it allows a little bit more flexibility in, in which one you know you would personally pick because what, what I know about generating response options is that even if I was in a room and I have been with an incredibly brilliant folks you know, at a, a conference workshop or something where we're all brainstorming, we will not come up with every answer. Students and applicants to health science programs and higher education will blow your mind with the way that they think through these complex problems and the ideas that they will come out with. And they're things that we would have never, ever thought of. And to me, those are, those are the superstars who can like really be creative and agile in their thinking and, and come up with something, you know, really from the heart based on their own experiences and things like that. And that's the part that I think we miss otherwise. So Fundamentally, they're both situational judgment tests, which is, um, you know, a very, very um, defensible way of measuring things. But the way that we've set up the questions and scenarios actually measure different and I think complementary things. I wonder if any medical schools are going to start requiring both of them because they are complementary. But um, 
Yeah, I think I think they are. It's it's interesting as schools start to adjust and shift, moving away from just really uh, MCAT or, or GPA or you know GRE or or whatever the right um, assessment is that they might require, or really a GPA heavy application to considering other things. We do know that some schools do require both of them. Right. Right. Now we've discussed that you offer a lot of different flavors of Casper, mm-hmm. but you also offer an exam called Duet. And what is duet and what does it test? How does it test it? I mean, we've, again, we focus very much on Casper. So maybe how does it differ? Because I don't want to take up too much of your time. And no, that's okay. I I could talk about these things all day. (laughs) So what we did is wanted to really look at what are some of the things that applicants think are really important and programs think are really important, but maybe we don't measure really well. And one of them that came to mind once we, you know, sort of developed Casper was this concept of fit. Is this program the right fit for me? Is this applicant the right fit for our program? And there's a lot of problems with the term fit. Um, It, you know, is a little bit assuming that there's a single fit um, that people have. And if you don't look like this cookie cutter shape, then you are not the right fit for a program, which I don't think is right. We know that the more diverse a class is, the better for both the class and the program outcomes and the profession as a whole. So we wanted to really say, okay, how do we take this concept that we know is really important to people, but do it in a more defensible way? Because right now, programs are measuring this concept of fit by really very arbitrary ways. When I interviewed folks saying, how do you measure fit? What do you look for? Their answer was, well, I know it when I see it. And, you know, oftentimes that means they looked like me or sounded like me or did something, you know, and and so what that does is perpetuates, you know, some of the biases that we have in the process or doesn't allow everyone a fair shot at the application. And so we really wanted to say, what else could we do? And so duet is, is that in mind? It's how do we take the values and priorities of an applicant and the values and priorities of a program and actually align them in a way that makes sense. And so the way that we do this is a forced choice or or paired comparison selection process. So it was a very long process to create this. We have one version for residency and one version now for uh, MD and DO with other versions coming out soon. And so what we did is it's got a lot of stakeholders, including applicants to these programs, current students, faculty, you know, all sorts of different stakeholders to say, what are the things that really matter uh, when you were talking about fit? Now, this isn't taking into account geography or all those other things that also matter. You know, it's, we're definitely no silver bullets in this conversation. We don't have the answer to everything, but, you know, sort of incrementally, how do we add data? The analogy I use is add more pixels to the picture to get a clear uh, lens of, of who it is that we are actually applying to our programs. And so what we know is that with Duet, we were able to get three categories with multiple characteristics. And I'll just use the example of if you could have a program that promotes diversity or has a reputation for excellence, which would you want? And the answer is, well, I'd want both. Um, And so there's no way to give applicants or programs just a list of these characteristics. So we have them go through this paired comparison process. I use my kids as the analogy where um, during COVID, like many people, they wanted a pet. Um, (laughs) If I just said to them, do you want a dog, a cat, a fish, or a turtle? They would say yes to all of them. (laughs) And I I would live in a zoo. So, you know, what I could have said, okay, is do you want a dog or a cat? 
a dog or a turtle, a cat or a turtle, and have them pick between each of those pairings. And what I would end up with is a numerically prioritized list of these animals. Um, we did end up getting two kittens, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> depending on how many kids you have, you'll have different priorities. It's true. It's true. They were able to agree, luckily for me. Fortunately. Um, <laughs> But so what we do is we do that similar process with values like promoting a culture of diversity and a reputation for excellence. But instead of just picking A over B, it's how important is one over the other? Because it's not just a simple, I care about one and don't care about the other. It's you're allowed to have that sort of sliding scale of importance for those. And by doing this, we're able to get a sense a uh, of of really who the applicant or what the applicant's priorities are, and how they align to the program. Now, it doesn't mean if somebody you know aligns with you you know not perfectly that they're not the right fit. That means a you have an opportunity to support them when they get into your program, which is a really great piece of data. But also, you have an ability. We've given programs the chance to actually look at what they say are their values and priorities and say, is that right? Um, is that is that you know sort of what you want to be doing? And that's been a really great opportunity. So the duet assessment, as a quick summary, takes about 10 minutes to do. It's an online examination. You do it on demand. So anytime you register for your CASPER test, you can go and sign up and complete duet. We just say that do it you know, within the two-week window of when you've completed your CASPER test so that you know the school has your data. Then once you've completed it once, that's all you have to do. So an applicant completes it once. And it's sent to every program that they're applying to that requires Duet. And that's compared to the program profile. Now, the programs go through the Duet process, too. They I was just going to ask you. Yeah. yeah, they take the 10 minutes and they go through. And what's great about it is it's not just the admissions director who's doing it or the program director. We get a combination of faculty and current students to do the duet, to actually create the profile. So it's not just what do they aspire it to be, but the students in the program are actually saying, what is it actually? Um, right. And that's where it's great data for the program to have to say, is that actually what you want to be doing? But also it really gives a much more authentic sense of this concept that we call fit. So we've started to use the term instead of fit, we call it applicant program alignment, which really- I just heard that term for the first time, I think yesterday. Yeah, and, and it's this term alignment that really to me is a sense of how aligned are you? Because you could choose and, and not be very aligned to a program, but go to them for a variety of different other reasons. You know, they could be geographically the right school for you. They could be, you know, a, a lot of other things, but it's knowing that going in so you can respond and reflect on that. I was once at a conference of admissions consultants and, um, there was a panel and there was a lot of discussion about the value of diversity in the, in the program. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you know where I'm going. And I asked, is there some tension between the desire to have a community of like-minded individuals and a desire to have diversity? Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean ethnic diversity. I mean, diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. So the one panelist denied that there was any tension whatsoever. And frankly, I thought that was nonsense. Um, and then I was walking out with another admissions director and um, she was saying that this is an issue that on her particular school's committee, they talk about all the time, that there's definitely a tension between it. Mm -hmm. Now, with alignment as the goal, will there be a, a, a lessening of diversity of opinion and thought? Great question. So one, I would hope not. 
Um, and the reason for that is this is alignment in a few very specific areas. So it's uh, alignment values to a certain extent. Values and priorities. Absolutely. Right. Um, one of the things, and part of the reason I love Casper is that it allows that diversity of thought, that very different perceptions of what a right answer is. Um, with Duet, you're getting a sense of, you know, is this person really looking for a research heavy institution and that's not what you are, then maybe you can't support them. Uh, you yeah. know, I always say that most of us are not weeds. Uh, there are some people who are, who can grow in any soil you put them in. I am not one of those people that I kind of need the right soil in order to be my best self. And so it's about kind of making sure, are we putting them in the right soil there? Or are you prepared for the fact that you're bringing in somebody who requires a very different soil? And so you need to be prepared to support that person, you know, because that's an intentional choice, which is mm -hmm. great. I also really want to emphasize, though, that these are two data points in what should be many data points about the selection process. So it shouldn't be just that we get people with a, you know, a 3.8 or higher GPA in, because to me, that brings in only, you know, a very small proportion of, of who is, you know, could be a great nurse or, you know, healthcare professional. When we think about adding these other data points, that's what helps us broaden and get that more holistic impression because we want folks who have had different opportunities in life, maybe folks who have never volunteered or never been able to shadow clinically because they've been working or supporting families or doing other things that are incredibly important uh, in our society. And so how do we make sure that you know, across the whole spectrum of the admissions process, we're not putting artificial barriers in place. So for example, in the case of shadowing, there's now these virtual shadowing opportunities that folks can do. And to me, that is just one of the best things that I've seen come out of the COVID pandemic, because what that means is that you don't have to know a clinician already or be able to get connected. You can just sign up for one and it doesn't require you to necessarily go uh, and do that when that might not be feasible for what else you have going on in your life. So, you know, it's one of the silver linings I've tried to find uh, in the way that, you know, admissions was completely disrupted during the COVID pandemic. Absolutely. I think we've actually found some really strong silver linings in this process. I also think virtual interviews uh, is one of them too, from, from an equity standpoint of, you know, having to pay to travel and, and things like that. So, you know, I think going back to your original question, th there is this tension because it's really hard when folks don't align to our way of thinking, for example, because that means they're not going to be easily agreeable with what we're doing. But I think actually that breeds a better health professional because all of your patients aren't going to be aligned to the way you're thinking. All of you know your other caregivers that you need to work with um, in order to create that amazing healthcare team are not going to align to your way of thinking. And so how do you learn to have that flexibility, that ability to hear and understand others, that way to start articulating the reasoning behind what you think, not just what you think, as a way to start building that pattern of communication that's going to help not only in the school, but beyond. Um, and so, I mean, that's my opinion on why I think it's going to happen. But I hope that by adding these data points, we're, we're sort of not going to be limiting our, our uh, applicant pool that way. Right. Thank you so much. Now, Casper, correct me if I'm wrong, started at one school about 12 years ago, right? 
Yeah. The research on it started 20 years ago to date myself. 20 years. Okay. 20 years ago. All right. But it actually was implemented initially at McMaster in 2010. Since then, it's gained enormous credibility in certainly in medical schools, probably DO schools. And you've mentioned healthcare. Do you see it spreading to other fields? I mean, professionalism is important. Uh, Social skills are important in tons of areas, whether it's law, business, engineering, whatever. Absolutely. So we already have um, teachers' education programs using um, our tool, which is amazing. Social Um, work. Yeah, and, and we've had other schools in, in business and engineering express an interest because in many of those cases to become an effective professional, to become a you know an effective engineer, you need to communicate and collaborate. You're not a single person, you're on a team. And so all of those things are becoming increasingly important. You know, I I have this vision uh, that one day, you know, by by having these assessments, unfortunately, unless something is measured, we don't put a lot of value on it when we think about admissions, as you probably know more than anybody else. So I hope that by assessing it a defensible uh, way that, you know, tries to be as equitable as possible and, you know, accessible as possible, that we're actually building and changing the culture of the way that we think broadly as a society that, you know, grades and academics are incredibly important, but the way that we treat each other as human beings is even more important. It's something I always, you know, feel like I try and instill in my kids um, as I'm teaching them about what's important in life. It's, it's not always getting, you know, the perfect test score. It's about, you know, are you being kind to your classmates? Are you having these, are you being inclusive? Are you doing those sorts of things? And I hope as a society, that's actually the way that we're moving. Um, And so we're starting to see that momentum across higher education that people are saying, you know, there's actually difficulty with some of the existing standardized tests and measures that they use. And so what else is there? What else is important in how we're selecting, you know, our our teachers or our our engineers, our lawyers of tomorrow? Do you see the CASPER as as a supplement, a complement to the existing aptitude tests or as a potential substitute? Well, I don't think it's a substitute. It's a situational judgment test, I should say. Yeah, yeah. yeah situational judgment test. I, I don't know if it's fully a substitute in that um, it's not measuring the same thing. Right. So right. if you're measuring- You want to know that somebody can do the work required. Yes. A specific that, that's a very, very different measure. Although right. I think that measure, the pendulum has swung so far that we've sit, <laughs> you know, we've, we've almost set our standards for that way too high. But I think when we talk about Casper, it's, it's that there's, there's a need to balance that we don't just want academics. We also want to be looking at the whole person who's applying. And so it's about having other measures that allow us to really capture, you know, not just how absolutely intelligent you are, but who you are as a human being, Um, because it's those two things combined that's going to make you successful. And if you need support in one of those areas, then how can we support? Right, right. Oh, this has been absolutely amazing. My last question is, what would you have liked me to ask you? That's what a great question. Maybe some of the misconceptions about Casper. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> I just set myself up to ask, answer a tricky question. So I think people believe that, you know, it's just a barrier or a hoop to jump through. I want to convey that the reason we originally developed this is to make sure that as much of the whole applicant 
is actually included in the admissions process as possible. That you aren't just your grades. You aren't just a data point on an academic test, that you're much more than that. And we really, really wanted to make sure that um, that was included. And so that's probably one of the misconceptions that I really want to get away from. Also to highlight that we have accommodations in MDDO programs. We have a fee assistance process for the application process. We're actually encouraging other groups to, to develop these FAP programs so that we can honor them in the application process. So we really want to make sure that that's right. I will actually add one more thing because it's, such, it's such a hot topic right now is chat GPT. Okay. Um, because, you know, the question is, can you game Casper with chat GPT? And we've done a lot of research on this, trying to understand that. And we're excited because two things, one, the majority of our scenarios are so complex in their videos. So it's harder to input in the time allowed uh, to chat GPT. The other thing, and I, I wanna highlight this to people who may be using them for personal statements or, or other things, uh, is that chat GPT really just generates a very generic answer. Exactly. Um, exactly. It unfortunately has no passion in it. Um, it's not necessarily up to date in terms of the societal or cultural things that are going on that may impact your, your beliefs or perspectives on things. So um, there's a, a word of caution. And the fact that what we tend to know is that, because we've tried to answer Casper with ChatGPT internally, and that you don't actually score always that well, because it gives a very generic, it can have lots of mistakes in it um, and things like that. And the problem is when those are mistakes are there and you only have a time limited thing, you may get your response submitted in a way that actually isn't reflective of you. And so the best advice I can give folks is find a quiet space, you know, make sure nobody's streaming videos <laughs> next door to you. Um, but just really try and be yourself because it's when you come across as who you are as an individual, who you are as a human, your own experiences, and you really express those through your responses, your why you would take courses of actions. Those are the people that excel. Right. A colleague put into chat GPT Wharton's business school's essay question and chat GPT produced an answer. The sentences were well-constructed, but it was absolute drivel. Yes. It was, it was, it was the kind of thing that any admissions person, any admissions professional would just make fun of. That's it. And, and it's one of those things that if you get that in your response and you have a time limitation, it just adds more stress to the process. Right. So yeah, don't do it. The bottom don't, line, don't do it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. I wouldn't, okay. I would highly recommend not doing that. All right. Dr. Dorr, I think we're almost out of time. This has been amazing. I want to thank you so much for joining me and sharing your expertise. It's been incredibly informative. Where can listeners learn more about Casper and Duet absolutely. for that matter? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to uh, just go to our website, which is acuityinsights.app, so A-P-P, uh, you can learn more about the different assessments. You can see some example Casper scenarios as well so that you can feel familiar with it. When you sign up to do the Casper test, you can take the full practice test. So, you know, go on, learn more uh, and don't be afraid to reach out with questions. Sounds good. Thank you so much. We're going to include links in the show notes at accepted.com slash 513 to the Casper and the Duet exams, as well as to other resources that may be helpful to listeners. Thank you, listener, also for joining me. And quick reminder, don't miss the Med School Admissions Quiz. Find out if you're really ready to apply and competitive at your target schools. Take the quiz at accepted.com slash medquiz today. This is Admissions Straight Talk produced by Accepted, and I'm your host, Linda Abraham.